Good morning. My name is Mark Van Andel. It's a pleasure to be back and worshiping with you again. It's been a while. I've taken a bit of uh, a break from being part of the teaching team here at Grace, but um, I'm glad to be with, back with you. Some of you were here last week. You heard Nate Bull, who's my friend and partner in ministry, uh, speak. And uh, we together are planting a church in Detroit called Hesed Community Church. And Grace is a supporter of that, so thank you for your investment in Detroit. I guess it's Detroit month here at Grace. Maybe uh, you guys get a little bit of flavor of what we're about there in Detroit through this time. So thank you for the opportunity. Um, The reason I haven't been here in a while is because I was finishing up my master's in divinity degree and also my requirements for ordination. So I had a bunch of hoops to jump through. Some of you are in grad school, you might know. There is life on the other end of it, just so you know. If you guys are in the throes of it right now, you can make it through. So it's good to be through and now have some freedom to be able to uh, minister again as God's called me to, to do. But um, in the midst of that process, first of all, I was going through grad school and I, we have three boys of our own that we're raising. And then uh, we took on a foster child. So we had another child in our home, a one-year-old. So we went to 15, 13, 11, and one-year-old in our home. And then uh, I was also trying to help start the church, doing the church ministry. So I had a lot going on, and I felt like, maybe some of you have felt this before, I felt like every moment of my day had to be perfectly efficient. Like, I didn't have any extra time. There was no margin to do anything wrong. It had to be super efficient. And so um, that was not a fun feeling. And in fact, I started thinking about it, and I started feeling like the world sometimes presses, presses us into this mold where we feel like we've got to be productive with all this time. Like, okay, I've got to be working out now. If I'm not working out, I've got to be doing work, and I've got to answer this email before I go to bed tonight because I need to keep up with this project or whatever. And I'm like, the efficiency of that sometimes feels like, wow, is that the way that the world really works? And from my observation and from what I've understood from the Bible It's not true. God doesn't always work in the most efficient ways. And so I want to share with you this morning a story from the Bible, from the Old Testament, where God actually displays an inefficient kind of leadership through his people. So we're going to be looking at the life of Gideon, who's an Old Testament judge. From the book of Judges, his story is in chapters 6 and 7. So we're going to uh, skip around in his story today to get kind of a picture of the broad spectrum of how God worked in inefficient ways in his life. So if you're Turning in your Bible, you can turn to Judges chapter 6. The words will be up on the screen, so you can see that. But this is kind of a personal journey for me, and I hope that it connects in some way and helps you understand uh, a little bit more about how God may be working around you as well. So some backstory here. Gideon uh, was alive in a time where the people of Israel had been called out of Egypt, and then they had been wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. Then they entered into the promised land. They had a bunch of battles, and then they settled in. And what they ended up doing was they started worshiping other foreign gods around them. And God was not pleased with that. So God, in this case, at this time, allowed the Midianites, which was a neighboring country, to come in and terrorize the Israelites. So the Israelites would plant crops, and then right before the Israelites were ready to harvest them, the Midianites would come in and swoop in and steal them. Or the, the Israelites would be out tending their sheep in the, uh, in the wilderness, and then suddenly the Midianites would come in and snatch them all away. So it was really a terrorist kind of experience, and they were feeling this oppression and this weight. And they cried out to God and said, God, can you do something about this? God said, uh, sent a prophet that explained to them, well, it's because of your disobedience. But they kept crying out and saying, God, please bring some relief to this. 
So that's where we pick up the story in uh, chapter 6, verse 11. And I'll start reading there. The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Ophrah that belonged to Joash the Abizarite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied. But if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, Did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. The Lord turned to him and said, Go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied, but how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. The Lord answered, I will be with you, and you will strike down all the Midianites, leaving none alive. Gideon replied, If I have now found favor in your eyes, give me a sign that it is really you talking to me. Let's pause right there. Let me just recap what's, what's going on here. So, Gideon is threshing wheat in a wine press. So he's below ground, kind of hiding from the Midianites. So he's kind of trying to stay out of sight, out of fear. He's a fearful man. And God comes and sends this angel of the Lord to him to speak to him. Now it's kind of ironic because the angel of the Lord says to him, you know, he says, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. It's kind of ironic to find a man who's scared sifting wheat in a wine press, being called a mighty warrior. But this is how God comes to him and speaks to him. Now, I don't know about you, but sometimes for me, when I feel overwhelmed and oppressed and scared by fear, I tend to hide. Now, I do that in different ways. Sometimes it's like, uh, for me, it's not binge watching, but it can kind of be like, okay, how am I going to hide? It's probably like some cell phone video game or something for me or it's going on social media and just trying to hide, like escape the, the world around me and just kind of hide off in my own little world and try and ignore the pressures that are around. Whatever that is for you, I don't know. But, but God sends his, his angel right into that space to speak to Gideon and he says, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Now, just an interjection here. God knows your true identity better than you probably know your own identity. So you think about it, well, I'm a, I'm a teacher, or I'm a student, or I'm a, a mechanic, or whatever you think your identity is wrapped up in, and God knows inside of you, and he calls you, in some ways, something that you may not even believe about yourself yet. He may say something to you that you don't even believe is possible to you. He may say, no, you are a mighty warrior, or you are a justice seeker in this world, or you are a caregiver to an ailing parent, or you are the mother of young children, which is a special calling that the Lord needs to be with you and speak into your life, or you may be, I am the researcher called to discover beauty of God's world. But God has specific things that he sees in you that specifically he created you for specific purposes in this world. Like he created you for a specific thing in this world and he wants to speak those things and hopefully, maybe even now as I'm saying this, you're hearing, you're thinking, this is what God's purpose is for me. 
It's, it's a deeper purpose, right? It's something that he's called you uniquely to. He's gifted you for this and he's called you to this. So what is it that God might be calling you to do or to be in this world? So uh, Gideon kind of is like, hey, wait a minute. Uh, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh and I'm the least in my family. Why are you talking to me? You got the wrong address, God. Go down the street. I know this other guy down the street. He's much more prepared to be the mighty warrior. But God's like, no. He, God reassures him and he pushes beyond and he says, I will be with you and you will strike down all the Midianites, leaving none alive. Maybe there's times in your life where you feel like this too, like, I don't think God could ever use me. Maybe you think about the sin in your own past and you're like, oh, these habits that are in my past, God could never use, this, use me in this way. Or I've, been, I've done too much bad stuff, I've been too, walked away from God for too long, God cannot meet me and use me anymore. This story just shows, no, God doesn't just choose the people who are the best and the brightest. God doesn't just allow the people who look the most beautiful or who have the best resume. God doesn't just look at those folks. He's calling people specifically, and he reaches out to Gideon and he gives him this promise, I will be with you. Just so you know, God's word is sovereign. God, God does not make promises that he can't keep. So when God says this, it's true. The, the hard part about this is Gideon has to own this for himself, right? That's what this journey is about. This isn't about God knowing what he's doing or not knowing what he's doing. This is about Gideon saying, yes, Lord, yes, I believe you. I believe your word is true. I believe that you're saying true things to me. And for me, that's one of the hardest things in my own life is to say, yes, God, you're right. I believe you. And Gideon, in his doubt, he says, he ends this passage, he says, I need a sign, Lord. Just show me something. And so the angel of the Lord says, well, bring me some food. So Gideon brings some foods out. The angel of the Lord touches it with his staff. Boom, instantly it burns up. And Gideon's like, this is the real deal now. Like, I, I got you. This is the real deal. Okay, now, uh, okay, now whatever you say, I, I got it. Okay, what am I supposed to do? So the angel of the Lord says, go tear down that altar to Baal in your town, right around the corner, go tear that down. So Gideon goes and he tears down the altar. Now he does it at night which is kind of like, uh, it's a little, you know, his, his fear continues to be there, but he tears the altar down. The next morning, the crowd, the townspeople are angry as all get out. They're like, where is he? Where's Gideon? Bring him out. We're going to do something to him. And his dad, Gideon's dad comes out and he's like, okay, just a second, just a second, chill. That's my interpretation. That's not in the Bible. It doesn't say chill. But uh, he says, relax. And he says, isn't Baal a strong enough God to fight his own battles? Let Baal take care of Gideon if he's really guilty. Let Baal take care of him. So that earns him this nickname, Jerubbaal, which is like, let, let Baal take care of him. So Gideon is starting to take these steps of obedience, albeit in fear still, he still takes the step of obedience and tears this down. Well, after that uh, occasion, God's spirit falls on Gideon because of his obedience to him, and he says, uh, Gideon starts to bring an army together. So this army, Gideon starts recruiting. He's like, okay, let's do this. But he's still not quite sure that God is going to be with him in this battle. So he says, okay, uh, God, I'm going to take this fleece, this uh, kind of sheepskin, and I'm going to put it out. And some of you may know this story. It's kind of a familiar biblical story if you grew up with it. He says, okay, God, tonight I'm going to go to bed, and in the morning I want the fleece to be completely wet from dew and the ground all around it to be dry. Goes to bed. Wakes up, sure enough, fleece is there, he's wringing it out, it's dripping wet, but the ground all around is dry. You'd think that's good enough, right? 
No, Gideon's like, no, 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 no. Now, now I want the fleece to be dry and the ground around it to be wet, Lord. He goes to sleep. This may not be you, but I know this is me. I'm like, come on, Lord, you gotta tell me. You gotta make sure that I know that I know that I know. So the fleece is completely dry now. The ground around it is wet. Gideon's like, okay, we got this. Now for my life, uh, just my personal journey, for me, I was like on this journey and Kristen, my wife and I, felt like God was calling us to go to Detroit. But I was like, okay, Lord, I need a little bit more. So it was like every six weeks or six months, I'd be praying this prayer. Okay, Lord, give me a sign. And then I'd meet somebody else and they'd be like, we really could use help in Detroit. Come to Detroit to help. And I'd be like, okay, Lord. Well, now I need a little bit more reassurance, right? And it was always like, well, maybe it's not me. Maybe... Maybe I'm too white, like I am a pretty white, white guy. So I'm like, I, maybe I'm too white to be in Detroit. Or maybe I'm too uptight. I'm, I'm like really type A and I'm like, I wanna control things and I'm like, God, you don't wanna use me. Like, you know, I just keep giving these excuses. And finally, it's like God said, no, get your white uptight behind into the city and let me do some things in you and through you. Now, it's not, uh, I don't want you to get this picture that like somehow when I showed up, then God showed up. That's not how it was. Because definitely God's been doing things in our city and our neighborhood for generations before me. This is not something, but it's about God doing something in me and then allowing something to happen because of my obedience. So uh, when we got to Brightmore, Nate and I were walking the street uh, in Brightmore, and I was, uh, we were just handing out water, and we met this woman who was walking back and forth to the store. We saw her a couple times. Finally, we offered her water. We started talking to her. And we end up hearing a bit of her story. And it turns out that she was praying that people would come, that she was praying, God, I need your help. I need to know that you haven't forgotten me. And sure enough, there are Nate and I to say, God loves you. We're here to journey with you, to be part of your life. And it was like God had answered a prayer through her life because of our obedience. And that's, that's the way God works. He's calling us and he's doing all these things, orchestrating these things around us. And if we start to realize who we are and the calling that we have on our lives to be obedient to him, suddenly the kingdom goes forward in amazing ways. It's so beautiful to see. I hope you can see that in your life. Maybe you're thinking right now of ways that you've experienced that in your own life. But uh, this is the way that God works. He's orchestrating these things and putting it together. But it oftentimes require, requires us being weak and vulnerable to realize that it's not about us as much as it is about God and being obedient to God. So um, one other thing on this, uh, when we gather with our house church, so uh, we've got the ministry in Brightmore and then in our neighborhood in central Detroit, we, we have a house church that meets in our home on Sunday afternoons. When we gather, we have this habit, we've kind of formed this habit of just being still and being quiet before the Lord when we worship. And um, inevitably, it's almost every time that we gather, out of that silence, someone will confess something. And confession isn't something that we really do that well. But as people confess, suddenly it shows our weakness and our vulnerability. And in an amazing way, God meets us in that space. And suddenly, we're all like, yes, we need God. We're desperate for God. We, we're broken, weak people. We need God. And it's almost as if the pathway to meeting God and intimacy with God is through vulnerability. Like, God doesn't want people who are saying, hey, God, look at me, use me, I'm ready to go, I'm ready to go, here's my resume, here's all the things that I've done, here's my references, why don't you talk to them? It's kind of this twisted thing where if you're trying to put yourself forward like that, God's like, okay, we'll wait on you. 
Just take some more time. You need to get to a place where you're open to say, no, I need you. One of the entry points to the kingdom is vulnerability and weakness from my experience and I believe from the scripture. Because Paul says, wait a minute, I'm a Jew of Jews and I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews and I'm, I was born in the tri- tribe of Benjamin. Paul's, list, Paul's the opposite of Gideon. Paul's listing all these things, but then he says, but I found in my life that nothing, none of those things are worth anything. They're like dirty rags. It's garbage, except for knowing Jesus. So he says, everything that I would count as something that I could attribute to myself is nothing compared to knowing Jesus. So Gideon has this same story. We're going to continue on here, uh, pick it up at the beginning of chapter 7. Early in the morning, Jerubbaal, that is Gideon, and all his men camped at the spring of Herod. The camp of Midian was north of them in the valley near the hill of Moreh. The Lord said to Gideon, you have too many men. I cannot deliver Midian into their hands or Israel would boast against me. My own strength has saved me, they would think. Now announce to the army, anyone who trembles with fear may turn back and leave Mount Gilead. So 22,000 men left while 10,000 remained. But the Lord said to Gideon, there are still too many men. Take them down to the water and I will thin them out for you there. If I say this one shall go with you, he shall go. But if I say this one shall not go with you, he shall not go. So Gideon took the men down to the water. There the Lord told him, separate those who lap the water with their tongues as a dog laps from those who kneel down to drink. 300 of them drank from cupped hands, lapping like dogs. All the rest got down on their knees to drink. The Lord said to Gideon, with the 300 men that lapped, I will save you and give you, give the Midianites into your hands. Let all the others go home. So Gideon recruits this army of 32,000 people. And God says, nope, too many. You're going to boast. So 22,000 go home. Can you imagine if you're Gideon watching those 22,000 go away, go, ooh, Lord, are you sure? Are you sure? I, I mean, maybe they just act big and tough. They don't have to fight, but they can just stand back and act tough, and we can act like we've got this presence. No? The Lord says, nope. And in fact, those 10,000, there's too many. So go off and, and separate them by who laps like a dog and who doesn't, who kneels down to drink, till there's just 300 men. Now, for me, in my life, I have certain things that I want to cling to, control and power. I want to know I'm a strategist. I'm a type A person. I want to be like, I have a plan. And for my experience in Detroit, the Lord has not allowed me to have good plans. Like, the Lord is taking that away from me. So when I go into a, uh, our house church meeting, I'm like, okay, I could, Lord, I could work up a great agenda and I could get us to this end point and this is where I'm trying to direct us to get right here, Lord. The Lord's like, nope, I don't want you to have that. You've got to be open-handed. Part of this is, as a white man coming into Detroit, there's a history of colonialism and of oppression that comes with me being present there and sometimes it can feel like, okay, Mark's the white man coming in to control things again. So part of this is out of my own cultural history, God's like, nope, you can't, you can't do that. You have to allow the spirit to work through the people who I've already given you who are in this neighborhood. And I can do this apart from your presence. Like you just show up and don't try and control it, Mark. 
So it's like the very thing that I would cling to as the thing that I can do really, really well is the thing that God takes away from me. It's almost like this with Gideon, right? Gideon's like, well, I know I can get an army. And he does it. 32,000 men. It had to be hard to recruit. It had to take him a while. He's like, okay, Lord, I got it together. The Lord's like, nope, can't do that. So what are those things in your life? When you feel the pressure coming on you, what are those weapons, those things that you turn to in your own life, those patterns of behavior where you're like, oh, well, I did this the last time and it worked. So let me try this again. Or, or this is the way that the world would say to do it. What happens if we get still before the Lord and we say, Lord, what would you have for me? Gideon's obviously listening to the Lord's voice and he's being obedient. Sometimes we can depend too much on our own intellect, on our own planning, on our own skills, and we don't give room for what God might be doing through us that could be even more beautiful and powerful. Sometimes we start to say, well, I got a promotion at work. Wait a minute, you got a promotion? No, God gave you a promotion at work. Like even our language, it helps. I try and do this with my own kids. I'm like, God gave that to you. That's a gift from the Lord. It helps you to start to think, oh man, it's not something that I'm doing in my own self. We rearrange this. We live in a very secular, humanistic world that says that humans are the top of the food chain, that we're the, we're the ultimate example. So then what, what's the solution to all the problems? Well, humans have to figure it out, right? Well, if, if you're people of the book, if you're people who believe in God, then you say, no, there's a higher power we need to submit to and rel- allow the Lord to speak to us. Allow the Lord to give us missional imaginations, ways to reach people that we may not have thought of before, ways to fight the battles that God has put in front of us. So it requires a trust and obedience to the Holy Spirit. We're weak and vulnerable. We're inefficient with how we plan 32,000 down to 300. That's inefficiency. And then we trust and obey the Holy Spirit. Now, uh, Gideon's not done with a little bit of doubt. So he's ready to fight this battle with 300 people. That's a big deal to get there. But he's still like, ah, Lord, come on now. Is this really going to work? So what the Lord says is, okay, I'm going to give you one more piece. Like, I'll work with you here. He says, go down with a spy and go down to the Midianite army and just listen. So Gideon sneaks down there next to the army, the camp of the Midianites. And he just starts listening. And he overhears this conversation. And these Midianite uh, warriors are talking. They're like, hey, you know what happened last night? I had a dream. The other guy goes, tell me about it. He says, well, this big rock rolled down and crushed our entire army. And I believe that it's Gideon and his army that are going to crush us. Gideon sneaks up. Hallelujah, right? Like, yes, thank you, Lord. God allowed him to overhear a conversation that allowed him to hear a dream from somebody from the enemy that allowed him to know and have confidence that he could go into this thing and do it. So God keeps meeting him. Even in his weak faith or his growing faith, God meets him. So if you're here and you're like, I don't know if I believe all this Jesus stuff. I don't know if I'm really here. Keep trying. Keep testing. Keep walking out. Say, okay, God, show yourself to me. God doesn't, he doesn't hate us for that. God meets us in that place and says, yes, I love you enough to keep showing you, to demonstrate, to reveal myself to you. So keep pursuing that. So Gideon has this final like, yes, okay, now we can do it. So he gets ready to go into battle and now I'll conclude with this battle scene here. Gideon says, watch me, he told them. Follow my lead. When I get to the edge of camp, do exactly as I do. When I and all who are, around, are with me blow our trumpets, then from all around the camp, blow yours and shout 
for the Lord and for Gideon. Gideon and the hundred men with him reached the edge of the camp at the beginning of the middle watch just after they had changed the guard. They blew their trumpets and broke the jars that were in their hands. The three companies blew the trumpets and smashed the jars. Grasping the torches in their left hands and holding in their right hands the trumpets they were to blow, they shouted, A sword for the Lord and for Gideon. While each man held his position around the camp, all the Midianites ran, crying out as they fled. When the 300 trumpets sounded, the Lord caused the men throughout the Midianite camp to turn on each other with their swords. All the Midianites were destroyed. Gideon and his army of 300 didn't have to do the work. They were thrown into confusion, and God's plan brought victory for his people. It was unconventional. It was very inefficient. 300 people is not efficient for a battle, for an army. But God brought incredible victory to his people through the obedience of a growing faith Gideon. So what about us? Can we believe that God will do amazing things as we step out in faith and obedience to the things he's called us to do, to those true things that he's speaking to our heart, those purposes, those deep purposes of our lives? Do we believe that he can do that? Maybe you're sitting there and you're going, well, that's an Old Testament story. It's from thousands of years ago. It doesn't really matter. My faith doesn't really depend on the Old Testament. This is really how God chooses to act throughout Scripture. It's not just in this place. How do I know that? Because at the most critical juncture in history, this is how God reveals himself to us. Jesus, a great teacher, healer, miracle worker, gets to this point and he gets betrayed by his friends. He's vulnerable with his friends and they turn him into the authorities. And then they put him on trial and they accuse him of false, false testimony. They, they say he said things that he didn't say and they accuse him of things and they unjustly cause him to go to death. And we have a savior who's hanging on a cross, vulnerable and weak, unjustly. And it has to be going through his mind, maybe not Jesus, because it would be going through my mind, isn't this inefficient? The savior of the world, this this Messiah that we've been waiting for now is hanging on a cross. Jesus, why is this the, the plan of God? This is inefficient. It's weak, it's vulnerable. God says, this is the way that I'm choosing to save all of my people. Through the death of this one man, Jesus, God produces the most glorifying, powerful, saving action of the entire world when Jesus dies and then resurrects again. It's so inefficient. It's so weak and vulnerable, and yet the power of God shines through it in amazing ways, and that's what he does in our lives too. Those places that we're weak and vulnerable, those places that we don't think that we're being very efficient, but God says, just keep obeying, keep loving that person. I know it's not really working. It doesn't seem like it's working, but I want you to keep loving them. God works through these things. So Grace Ann Arbor, my encouragement to you is listen to the voice of God Trust that in your weakness, God will use you and then be obedient and walk by faith as he leads you into places to bring him great glory for his kingdom. Let's pray. God, I 
admit that too often I listen to the ways of this world, um, that I believe that if things are going to happen, they're going to be by my good works or by my activity. That, um, but please reorient my, life, my mind, uh, transform my thinking so that I consistently believe that it's only by you and your spirit that things happen. And you would choose to use me, you choose to work through me, but Lord, would you allow me to have a proper perspective of that, to consistently be dependent on you and not think that I can do it on my own. And for this church, Lord, would you continue to allow this to be a church of people who believe your word, believe your promises, that walk in courage, um, that use their gifts that you've given them, but don't depend on their gifts, they depend on you. So Lord, help give us proper perspective in that, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.